Anybody else agree with that? Amen. He has been so, so good. God's good in good times. God's great in bad times. Amen. We all have certainly had our difficult times, and we know this last year or so has certainly been something that has been surprising, I'm sure, to us all. All the things that have went on, the different people that have been affected by so much stuff, but we're grateful that the mercy of God extends to us beyond everything that Satan can ever do. We so appreciate the opportunity to be able to be here again today. Wow, it's good to see some of y'all's faces. I like it. Amen. Um, since our governor has lifted the mandate type thing, and I had Brother Joe to check with our mayor, and the mayor says that you, uh, they recommend that you wear a mask, but they're no longer going to mandate it, so I figured we'd just set y'all free. <laughs> Those of you that want to wear them, you just continue to wear them. If you have um, situations that you're concerned about, we certainly want you to feel welcome to be able to wear them. Um, but for the most part, for those of you, just use your own discretion about it. Hopefully this thing will be out of here before long. Um, it's doing better for us, but we certainly, certainly need to remember those of our brothers and sisters in India. Just hearing some more reports uh, today from some of the people there. It's just been devastating. So just because it's better for, for us here, we don't want to stop praying for them. Last week, just about every day last week over... 300,000 plus new cases every day. Uh, are, of course, most of Indians believe in cremation, so they're trying to grant permission from the public parks and places like that to cut down trees in order to burn the bodies. And the crematories are just full up, so just remember them in prayer that God will be, be mindful. Having been there to India and seeing how it is, you go down through... Chennai, Madras, the different places. Bombay at the time when I was there, the capital changed it now, but it would be like going through downtown Johnson City or a much, much larger city than that, of course, 30 million people. And there would be little tarps and lean-tos and cardboard on the main streets. So you've got tens of thousands and thousands of people just living on the streets. So you can imagine Satan loves that type of scenario. For this type of situation. But our God is greater. Amen. And the church said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. Let's read today from the book of Genesis chapter 24. We have um, Brother Jerry Glenn's viewing this afternoon in the funeral as well, so I'll, I'll be mindful of that as we speak today. Genesis 24, 51. I appreciate the song Brother Louis and the Brothers sing, Eliezer. Tell me more. I believe that's where we are, don't you? Of the bride of Christ being enlightened to her position as far as who she, who she is. We will read here three or four verses together. Behold, Rebecca is before thee. Take her and go, and let her be thy master's son's wife, as the Lord hath spoken. And it came to pass when Abraham's servant heard their words. He worshiped the Lord, bowing himself to the earth. And the servant brought forth jewels of silver and jewels of gold and raiment and gave them to Rebekah. 
And he gave also to her brother and to her mother precious things. Now remember, he's following true to form was much of what was established then and still is today in some Middle Eastern countries as far as the arrangement that would be made for a bride. That was the agreement would be made, then he would give her gifts, then give her the matan, which was the gift from the bridegroom, and then going to pay the dowry. How many would like to be remembered today before the Lord as we pray? I have several prayer calls here from different people and different needs, so let's just approach the Lord. Heavenly Father, we love you so much today. We are so grateful for the gift of eternal life, Lord. How we appreciate the opportunity, Lord Jesus, that we can be able to assemble ourselves together again today. And thank you, Lord, for some, some reprieve that we've been able to enjoy on this terrible demon out of hell called COVID. Lord, we know that it's affected many, many of your children around the world. Many of your saints have been called home during this time. We believe, Lord, no matter what disease or what thing is rampant upon the earth, still the departure of a child of God is not determined by plague or pestilence. We believe our lives are in your hands. We come to the earth by the will of God. We leave the same way. So we're grateful, Lord, that you've been with us. Even though you've chosen to take some of your children home during this time, we know the way you look at it. The way we leave the earth is not really of value anyway. The scripture says precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. I've never found one scripture that says precious is the way they go. That's just the way we look at it. And we think, well, this type of death would be better than the other, but you don't even mention that way. You don't even go that way at all. So I pray, Father, that you'd help us today. Be mindful, Lord, of the people around the earth that have been affected by these things. Lord, these prayer clause that I hold in my hands today, four of them, Lord, for different needs, going different directions and part of the country, I pray, Father, that you just manifest yourself. Speak to us today from your word, Lord. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. God bless you, saints. You may be seated. <clears throat> Let's start this morning on the dowry or the shiluhim. Shiluhim is the name of it. I found this little bit of history and I'd like to share it with you. It might help you to understand. Among the ancient peoples, dowry is commonly conceived as a daughter's share of inheritance in her father's possession. Now, the reason of this is because that the sons would succeed their father, and the daughters would leave home, of course. So the daughters would not get five acres, 10 acres, 50 cows, so many sheep, so many goats, because the daughter would be married to another man. So the daughter received nothing of the father's estate. So the dowry was considered part of the daughter's possession of the father's inheritance. So whenever she would leave, the father would give her this. So it's called the shihulim. And it was in lieu of her 
inheritance of what the father was going to give her. You remember probably reading in the Old Testament that Pharaoh actually gave his daughter, which was the wife of Solomon, the city of Gezer, G-E-Z-E-R, Gezer. And he gave her this entire city as a wedding gift or part of the dowry. And he actually called this Shehulim. So it was a gift to her because she was not going to be able to receive anything from Pharaoh's inheritance. So it was given to the bride by the father in order to make sure that if the bride, say in Rebecca's state, that she married Isaac, she went to this country that she had never been to before, if she was to get there and did not find favor in the sight of her husband, he could put her away. Then that left her there in that land with no means, no money, no way to get back. So it would be that the dowry was actually given to the daughter so she could take with her. Sometimes the dowry would be in the form of servants. Here, Rebecca receives money, silver, gold. She's allowed to take her nurse, whose name we know of in the Bible was Deborah. She was also allowed to take handmaidens and slaves and servants as it was legal in those times. But she was also given gold, silver, and she was given fine linen, things like that. So if she was to get there to the land and she found no favor in the sight of her husband, it would give her a means by which she would be able to be established in the land. She wouldn't be on the street or she would have the means to get back home to her father's house. Now look at what in relevance that it means to us is that the father of the bride is also the bride's husband. <laughs> we don't believe in three gods but we believe that our God manifests himself in many different offices. Now, it may seem strange to you, but our Father, which has provided the dowry for the bride, is the same one in another form that has provided the matan, which is the bride's personal gift, from the bridegroom. It's the same person all along. So the believers are given gifts in the office of the bridegroom, which will vary a little bit from the gifts given to the same bride in her office as daughter and his office as father. But each of them will be relevant according to the need that desires to be expressed. So if you were going to buy a gift for your wife on Mother's Day or a gift on her birthday, no doubt that gift would be a different gift than you would buy your five-year-old daughter or 10-year-old daughter or 15-year-old daughter. Now you're the same man but yet because your wife more than likely would not really appreciate a gift that your five-year-old daughter would appreciate. 
Now, if your five-year-old daughter's into collecting teddy bears or she's into spotted Dalmatians or into whatever your little daughter is into, and you would bring that same thing because you found them at Big Lots, two for $10. So you buy one for your wife and you think, well, you know, the little girl actually, I'll just, I'll have a savings here, so I'll give this to my daughter, and I'll give this to my wife as well. Your wife is probably gonna make bigger eyes at you than some of you are currently making at me. Because even though they come from the same person, your wife would expect something that would be more detailed to your relationship with her. Now, you see, this is what confuses folks when they read the New Testament because the Bible is gender specific and the Bible is office specific when it comes to the merits of the grace of God, the salvation of God, and the gifts of God, and God did it this way so that we would be able to relate to him and his greatness. Now, he could have wrote the Bible in such a way that anybody would be able to just pick it up and read that there was one God. But God did not write the Bible that way. He wrote it so it would be gender-driven and it would also be trait and characteristic-driven and it would take revelation by the Father to help the readers of the Bible to be able to differentiate between the offices that they receive it from. But those without revelation, ah, alas, they will make it a separate God. But to those who know who he is, they will read it from the same Bible and they will know that this is the Matan from the office of the sonship, but they will know this is the dowry from the office of the father. And they will know that incorporated into this gifts is actually another gift of the same office that they will receive called the Holy Ghost. Now again, not three gods, but the very same God. So believers are given gifts by the office of fatherhood in order to equip them for their journey to the bridegroom. Now, the bridegroom is still, we know, in the office of high priest. And father, of course, there in the great eternal is not there, as we've said it so many times, as an old man. And the Lord Jesus is there as a younger man. But if we would be able to catch a vision of the throne, as John did when he was moved beyond the curtain of time, and John said, I saw one and one that sat on the throne. And the glory of God was round about the throne. So here John is looking and peering straight into the seventh dimension. And he does not see what common people believe that there is a trinity of gods. John never saw three thrones or three gods, but John saw one sitting on one throne. Now, what he saw was actually the Lord Jesus in a glorified body sitting on the Father's throne. And where was the Father? The Father was around him.
Now remember, the Lord Jesus has never taken his throne yet because he's never yet possessed fully his bride. So he cannot receive his throne until he receives the heirs of the throne with him. He has not yet been crowned king of kings because he cannot be until he receives his wife. So he's in his father's throne. And when the Bible says that he sat down on the right hand of the throne of God, it does not mean that there's a big throne and then a little throne. So here's God sitting on a big throne and Jesus is sitting on this little throne, but the right hand simply means a symbolism of power and authority. As God said in the Old Testament, my right hand hath gotten me salvation or my right hand hath brought me strength. So it was not that God's right hand separate from the rest of his being because God in a sense does not have a hand, but God is a spirit, but it was a projection of an attribute. You see, unlike us, that God is able to project an attribute of his own being and he might call it his heart. In another projection of his attributes, he might call it his hand. Or he might say, you are the apple of my eye. And God doesn't have an eye. God doesn't have a hand, not like a human hand. God doesn't have a heart. And we say, well, Christ is the heart of God. But that's in the way that we would say it, so we would be able to relate to it. So whenever we identify that Jesus is on the right hand of God, it's not that there's two thrones there, because when John looked, he only saw one. And he only saw one sitting on the throne, so John didn't say, I saw three thrones, and there was God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. That's he that's right it's idolatry so God now wants to in the in the relationship of the celebratory act of the bride coming to him this is why that God will take the ministry and the ministry will be able to bring the word in a sense to show the people what they will need. You see, this is why that the very heart of God through the manifestation of the Lord Jesus was revealed in a total different form than the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, we certainly see the judgment of God, the wrath of God, and we see how God would just move on people and kill thousands of them at one time. And people, they view the New Testament as if though something actually happened to God and God changed and God's different. It's not that God's any different than he was in the Old Testament. But what's projected in the New Testament is a deeper relationship of the attribute of God, which was called the heart of God. And the very reason God has already destroyed our nation in the world is because the blood of the Lord Jesus encompasses around the whole earth itself. You remember the prophet seeing the vision of that? And it is by that blood and that mercy seat that holds the judgment of God at bay. And then that's why there's sometimes that the writers of the New Testament would say and make relation to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then they'd say about the Spirit. And then they would say the Son. Well, the writers, when they wrote that, they did not have in mind because they were post or pre-Nicaea Council, rather, but we are post-Nicaea Council council, which means whenever we read the Bible, that we would read it after this ideology come into view of a Trinitarian view. 
but the apostles, none of them were a Trinitarian. So when they wrote about the Father, when they wrote about the Son, when they wrote about the Holy Ghost, they did not write it with three gods in mind, but they wrote it with the same God manifesting himself and three attributes so they could say Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all of that, but they didn't think the same thing that post-Nicaea people would think. So they knew whenever they asked Jesus, whenever he stood there that day, and they would hear him praying, and they'd say, Father this and Father that, and they would say, show us the Father, and it will suffice, or it will help us to understand. And Jesus answered Philip, the one who asked him that, and he said, Philip, have I been so long time with you, and you have not known who I am? He that has seen me has seen the Father. Now notice, he that has seen me has seen the Father. So here was the manifestation of the Father in the body of the Son. But yet, there's things we could say about the Son that we couldn't say about the manifestation of the Father in so much that the Son could and would die. The Son could suffer sickness and pain, the humanity, but the Father, of course, is spirit. But when you seen Jesus, you saw the manifestation of the Father in so much that he would say, I and my Father are one. If thou believest in one God, James said, thou doest well for the devils also believe and tremble. Every devil in hell is oneness. True oneness. Now, what's this? So then given to the bride will be from the office of the son, the matan, but given to the bride from the loving heart of her father. Now that may have kind of stumbled you a little bit a while ago, but let me express it to you this way, that really in the Garden of Eden, in the way that we look at marriage, in the way that God put them together, in the first generations of human beings on the earth, that the bloodstream was so strong that many of those people would actually marry into their family. And we know that God actually took Eve out of Adam's body. So if we would have done a DNA, how they had DNA in that day, it would have probably been absolutely amazing how much her DNA would have replicated her husband because there was not another woman, another human on the earth that God had mixed together the genes and the chromosomes and the DNA. So it would have been from the, the, the blood rather and from the rib, the bone. So taking from that, if you would have done her DNA and sent it off somewhere through ancestry.com or whatever more, 23andMe, it would have come back and it said, this is absolutely marvelous. She's got the same DNA as Adam had. How could that be? How could it not be? She come out of his body and his mixture was not with another human being. So you would have looked at his DNA and held it up and looked at her. Carol and I had ours done a couple of years ago, something like that. And whenever we did, my goodness, I, got, I don't remember who got ours first, but anyway, whenever we got them, we took them side by side and compared them. And it was scary. I mean, it was scary. You know, I'm so much Ireland, I was so much English, I was this and that and the other, and she took hers and laid it up there. It was almost like we was brother and sister. 
It was absolutely amazing. We were so much one little tiny variable of a difference that was there. And yet the bride of Christ is much closer than me and Carol were. Because you look at our DNA and where did we come from? Blood of his blood, bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh. So the identity of the true bride goes back to that. Now watch this in Matthew chapter seven, verse 11. The Lord Jesus said, if ye then being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your father? Now watch how he places this in the stance of the fatherhood. How much more shall your father, which is in heaven, give good things to them that ask him? Now watch that the father himself, part of the bride's dowry, will come from the administration of the comforter, which is the paracletos or the father. Now notice the father God spirit cannot be our high priest. What is it? It's a separate attribute, which is the body, the Lord Jesus. But the father God is the one that will exert this supreme power. Now remember, under the administration of of the Lord Jesus as son of man, when he was brought to the earth, it was an administration of humility. And we've been looking at it here. It was the condescension of God, kenosis, emptying himself out of the fullness of God. But yet in the dealing of with us as fatherhood, it is nothing that was emptied out. Dealing with us as fatherhood, it is not a condescension. It is not a watering down. To look at Philippians chapter two, when the Bible says he was made of no reputation. So he come in the form of man. So he was made in no reputation. So he emptied himself out. In other words, he laid aside everything that he was. That could only be said about the office of sonship. That cannot be said about fatherhood. So when God would appear to Abraham, he would appear one time in one name and he would appear another time in another name. Now, whenever Abraham was old and he needed strength, Almighty God appeared to him and said, I am Almighty God. Be thou perfect and walk perfect before me. And that, of course, is I am El Shaddai. They breasted God. Now here he was old, he was aged, and he needed to receive strength. Why didn't he appear to him in the name of Adonai Elohim? Because that was another name for a more appropriate situation. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Everything in chapter one was God. In chapter two, we move over into another name which is called Lord God. So why did God do that? He wanted to now manifest something about his characteristics because he's fixing to bring a family into existence and he will not deal with them under the name of God, verse chapter one, but he will deal with them under the name Lord God, Adonai Elohim, or Jehovah Elohim, and it will be by this that he will show something about himself that the title God or Adonai did not reveal. So when we look at the Lord Jesus, we see things about the very character of God the Old Testament never showed us. And whatever God is going to deal with us as his children in this age, then truly there will be gifts that he will minister to us under the auspices of fatherhood. But then there will be gifts that will be given to us under the administration of the high priest, which is our husband. You see, we could never marry the eternal because the eternal is spirit. 
And we were never made to be spirit alone. This is why Brother Branham, you know, in his earlier years, that death scared Brother Branham. Now he was not scared he'd be lost, he said, but he did not want to be a spirit. Now that might seem strange to us, but you were talking about a man that from a little boy up had seen the realm of spirits and he saw people passing through in visions and he would see demons. So he had, he had access into a realm that somewhat would have been spooky to us, a realm of ghosts, if you will, and a realm of supernatural. So he would see things in visions and he would see them there appear before him and they would appear and they would disappear. And he could imagine that humans, when they died, that's what they were. So he, he did not want to die because he was afraid that whenever he died, he would be as some of those things that he had already seen, which was many, many of them. And God had to open up the glimpse of heaven so that he could see. When a child of God leaves this world, he said, I, I went up and Brother Neville, I'd go up to Brother Neville and say, Brother Neville had passed away and I'd want to shake his hand because that's what I always done. But I'd go up there and he didn't have no hand. His hand was out there rotted in the grave. And I'd come up here and you'd see me. There was something about it that alarmed the prophet, but God wanted to show him that when we leave this life, we are not a spook. We are not a spirit. And you can't take your hand and run through that spirit but it is actually a body like unto his body. So God wanted to show him something that would help him to understand. Now we know the whole thing is Elohim becoming tangible with his attributes. Now watch this. So then Jesus now wants to designate to us that if we're good and we know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more can our heavenly father give us gifts? Now one thing of course that Father God decided and wanted to give to his bride to help her through her journey of all the gifts that we could list and all the things we could go through. But I felt that it would be important for us to set the first one in priority. And that is that we would be able to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Now, it is more than just, as a prophet brought to us, Christ revealed in his own word, knows it not, 1565, and then Christ revealed in his own word the next week after that, 822. And he's dealing with the soul, the spirit, and the body, the five inlets and outlets by which a person can have the baptism of the Holy Ghost every hour of their life and die lost. We're not talking about that. But we're talking about the baptism of the Holy Ghost moving on, on the flesh, of course, moves upon the spirit, but it actually moves into the realm of the soul. And there in that realm of the soul, it quickens that seed to eternal life. That seed laying there dormant, maybe for decades, however long that it was, it was a representation of you before the world began, but it never had life. Therefore, it never had power to be able to help you live the right kind of life. So the sacrificial lamb in the Old Testament would give its blood, and that blood was used as a, as a material token. So they would take the blood, and they would put it on the doorpost and then the lentil in Egypt, and the death angel passed by because of the chemistry. But in the New Testament, it would not so much be the chemistry of the blood, but it would be the life which God had created in the blood cell itself. Now we talk about wash me in the blood and cleanse me in the blood, but we know in reality, none of us have actually had the chemistry of the blood, but it was that God released the life that was in the blood and the life comes back inside the worshiper. 
So our nature is replaced with the nature of what? The Lamb of God himself. So Father God did not want to give each one of us a drop of the blood of the Lord Jesus. Now we honor that blood, we thank God for it, and we're saved by it. But the Lord Jesus only had so much blood in his body like anybody else, so it's not like that the blood is just, you know, you take so much out and it just reproduces itself. That's not the way it is. The chemistry of the blood was going to be laid before the throne of God, there upon the altar of the mercy seat, but because the the spirit would be without measure. Notice when Jesus receives the baptism of the Holy Ghost, the spirit of Father goes into him without measure. You and I have a portion of the Holy Ghost, each one of us, but he received, oh glory, he received the Spirit of God without measure. So he received your portion, yours, 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 mine, everybody around the world that would ever receive the Holy Ghost, the Lord Jesus received that, oh my, praise be to God, right there at the river that day. So whenever the blood is shed, the chemistry will go up, and of course the body would go down, and then they would be raised from the dead, but the very life that was in the blood will be released by the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Notice this in Luke chapter 11, verse 13. Again, Luke words it a little bit different. If ye then being, being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? Now I want you to notice the way that Luke writes this and he already identifies him as our heavenly Father before we ever receive the Holy Ghost. How is that? By representation of predestination. So here, the gift that Luke emphasizes, now Luke talks about a lot of the different gifts that's gonna be dispensed to the bride, but here he talks about the Holy Spirit. So he gives the Holy Spirit to them that ask him. The words of the Lord Jesus, St. John 14, 16, I will pray the Father, he shall give you another comforter, in the Greek word parakletos, which is one called alongside to help, or a lawyer, or one that would plead your case. Now remember, here is the Lord Jesus, the, the body itself. And this is prior, of course, to his death, burial, and resurrection. And the Lord Jesus is telling us that I will pray to the Father. So I, as your high priest, will pray unto your heavenly Father, the same source I came from, you came from, and your heavenly Father will give you that portion of himself which you can receive. What is the Holy Spirit? It's the part of the eternal that can be broke apart. You see, none of us can receive the fullness of the eternal. Does that make sense to you? None of us can receive the Father. None of us can receive the corporal body of the Son. What is the Holy Ghost? Same God, but Him breaking Himself down and multi-million multi-million parts that His bride will be able to receive. You see, the Lord Jesus could receive the fullness of the Godhead bodily, but I can't, and you can't, and you can't, and you can't. So what is the Holy Ghost? It's the same Father God manifesting in a multi-aspect of his attribute, breaking himself apart. So what did they say on the day of Pentecost? Here was a lick of fire, here was a lick of fire, here was a lick of fire, here was a lick of fire. Where did it all come from? The big fire. 
Why? Because now Peter couldn't get the big fire. John couldn't get the big fire. Nobody else could get the big fire but Jesus himself. But what can you get? Your fire. Your little lick of the pillar of fire, which is the Holy Ghost or Father God, broke down in an attribute which he can divide himself. Oh, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Notice this. I will pray the Father and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. Verse 17, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. This is why we preach that a sinner cannot come up here today and get saved and get saved and get the Holy Ghost in the very same instant. The world cannot receive the Holy Ghost. You first gotta repent. Come on, saints, let's sit there and look at me. We're not a bunch of Baptists. But you see, for many, they teach that when you repent, you receive it all. That's contrary to the Bible. Now, can you repent and make your heart right with God and God follow up with the baptism of the Holy Ghost? Certainly he can do it. It could happen right there. But repentance must come first. Men and brethren, what must we do? Repent, every one of you, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sin and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost after you repent. Notice this now, the Lord Jesus is gonna merge together the attributes here. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him. For he dwelleth with you. You imagine them sitting there thinking, what is he saying? They can't receive him, but we can because we know him and he dwells with us. And we say, where is he? It was him in his human form. He dwells with you now, but you cannot receive me in you now. I cannot get in you. It cannot be one human in another human, but I will come back. The same God. The Holy Ghost is not a different God. It's the same God. For he dwelleth with you and shall be. Notice this in verse 18. I will not leave you comfortless. I, I will come to you. So who is it? Same God all along. But you see, post Nicaea, when they hear this prayer, they say, well, there's the Father, and then there's Jesus, and there's the Holy Ghost, it's a separate thing. Go right on and read the rest of it. Let him merge it together. He's the only one who can divide himself through a channel of time and then bring himself together again. Don't you say why we needed a prophet in the end time to help us merge all this together so Jesus could say it as if though it was separate, merge it all together again as if though it was one, and then say it again as if though it was separate, and merge it all together as if they were one. And what's it do? Bring total confusion and chaos to most of the world. But the bride says, praise God, I see it. Amen. The bride said, praise the Lord, I can see it. You can hide God from a theologian. God can hide from many churches, but he can't hide from the bride. Because the bride's got divine ability to look right into the word and see it. Oh my, I will not leave you comfortless. 
I will come to you. Verse 26, but the comforter. Now watch him. It's like he divides it. Then he runs it together. Watch him in verse 26. It's like he divides it again. But the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name. Brother God, it's plain as the nose on your face. There's three right there. No, no, no. Post-Nicaea thoughts is what makes you believe that. The three. Hold on. Oh my, whom the Father will send in my name or my person. He shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance. Whatsoever I have said unto you. How's he gonna do that? It's the same person. Acts 5, 31. Him hath God exalted with his right hand. Him hath God exalted with his right hand. To be what? A prince and a savior. Don't you understand the embodiment of the son of man took a lower position than the eternal could ever take. You don't find God being called a prince. But you find the body of God being called a prince. So in the resurrection, when we crown our Lord Jesus, we will crown him king of kings. Why, right now he's prince, he's priest. Amen. But he's longing, oh, he's waiting. Ma, to be a prince and a savior, for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Verse 32, for we are his witnesses of these things, so also is, the, is also the Holy Ghost, whom God hath given to them that obey him. So you see, a sinner cannot come up to the altar and immediately receive the Holy Ghost. There's some obedience that comes before you get the Holy Ghost. And this is where many people fail because they refuse to go on and obey the Lord and the prophet has told us in future home, you do not receive the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost accepts you. You don't accept it. You don't, well, I'm this, I'm that, and the other. It's not that. He accepts you. But how he will accept you? On oh, no. he sees this attribute in you that you're obeying the words, you're doing everything you know to do. Anything that God shows you, you do it by your best. And then God sees that obedience and then the Holy Ghost looks at you and accepts you. And his exception of you is his indwelling your soul. Oh, I shouted, I run, I jumped, oh, that's well and good, but my brother, sister, emotions will pass away, but him accepting you is your seal through eternity. Praise be to God. Now watch another thing that the Father wants to give us on our sheet of him is peace. Boy, how many needs peace in the troubled world that we're living in? Now these are gifts from the Father that will help us through our journey waiting for the day when we'll meet our bridegroom. Isaiah 26.3, thou will keep him in perfect peace, 
whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusts us in thee. You need to write these down. So when trouble comes your way, smack that old devil right in the mouth with him. Thou will keep him in perfect peace, not partial peace, whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusts us in thee. Isaiah 53, five. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we are healed. St. John 14, 27, peace I leave with you. Notice whose peace this is. My peace. My peace. I give unto you not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Help us, Jesus. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Why would he give us his peace? Because it's totally impossible for our peace running up to the end time to be able to keep us from being troubled and tore up. You know it as well as I do. We're experiencing things that's so surprising in this tumultuous time that we're living in. If it was not for the peace of God, we would be like the rest of the world. We wouldn't know what to believe. We wouldn't know what to do. We wouldn't know where to turn. But here we are in troublesome times, the most troublesome times we've ever been through in our life and we have peace in the time of storm. We've got peace in the time of trouble. Oh, you throw my peace of that baloney, your peace ain't, ain't doing it. It's the peace of almighty God himself. You say my peace has run out. Well, when it does, tap into that source that's in your soul that is beyond you. My peace. Notice St. John 16, These things have I spoken unto you that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. You said, what's that got to do with me? Everything. He overcomes so you could overcome. Notice Romans 5, 1. Therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God. You see, Paul understands this quite unlike any of the other New Testament writers in that he places man back in the original when man fell, that he put the man after the fall in the Garden of Eden in a hostile situation with God so that God was actually against the man, as it were, and the man was against God. And it, this thing went from one generation to another. This generation would die out and another generation would come up and they would be against God, which would set God against them. That generation would die out and it was ongoing over and over and over since the very fall of man. But now Paul was able to see that through the perpetuation of the Lord Jesus that God had made a way that us and God were no longer after each other. 
that us and God were no longer enemies, but we were on the same side, we're on the same team, even though we were born, amen, we were born in our souls and the darkness permeated our lives and we were at enmity against God, but after you received the Holy Ghost, my Lord, amen, you are not an enemy to God, but you are a son and daughter and God is not your enemy. I believe, friends, there are still people in this message that think God hates them. They think God is out to get them. You'll never grow in the Lord Jesus until you realize he is not your enemy. He is your father. He is your king. He is your God. He is your peacemaker. Oh, my. How can this be resolved? There's only one way for it to be resolved in the man, Christ Jesus. Not in an angel, not in a theophany, but in the man, Christ Jesus. God must find a way to make peace and reconciliation. Redemption must come together with justice. How can forgiveness and justice ever meet when the justice of God demands penalty for our wrong? And yet there's no way justice can ever be able to forgive us on its own. So we tap into the very justice of God, which is where the aspect of the prophets come from. That's why the prophets were so harsh sometimes and so difficult for the people to understand because it was from an attribute of the justice of God. But yet there was another aspect from the heart of God and that was Christ, Messiah, Messiah. That part that was anointed, it was the love of God that wanted to be able to bring man and God together. The prophets was constant, thus saith the Lord, this is gonna happen. Thus saith the Lord, that's gonna happen. No wonder the people hated them and despised them. But there was another part of the mystery of God which the prophets could not reveal in fullness and that was that one day God would create something upon the earth himself a man that looked like a man, died like a man, eat like a man, but yet whenever he died, he did not stay dead. And in there, it could not happen in Moses. It could not happen in Jeremiah or Noah that the full justice of God and the full redemption of God could meet in one man on the earth. It couldn't happen in a woman. It could only happen in a special creation of El Shaddai himself becoming a man on the earth that the full justice of God would be able to be poured out on one man, every lie, every adultery, every cigarette, everything that was ever done, and it could be met in that one person, and justice and mercy could kiss. Hallelujah! And when they kiss, oh hallelujah, when they kiss, you were right in the middle of it. Mercy met justice, and God forgave you. So now God looks at us through the same atonement of the blood shielding the earth. And instead of being so mad and God just getting so bent out of shape, I'm so glad for the blood because there ain't no telling how many times I'd have been burned up. And I'm gonna go ahead and speak it for the rest of you. Y'all been right there with me. I wouldn't have been standing right here the only one smoking heap. All the rest of you have been smoking right, right along beside me. But you see, God cannot just say because of the justice after me, well, I'll just act like it's okay. God is not a doty grandfather. Justice must be met. 
So how do justice and forgiveness even get along? They couldn't until it was made manifest in the Lord Jesus. So he could look at the scribes and the Pharisees and say, you're of your father the devil and the lust of your father you'll do. And then they bring a woman to him caught in the very act of adultery. And said, Moses' law said she should be stoned. What do you say? And he stooped down and began to write. I don't know who wrote, but let's just say he wrote something like this. I love you. And he raised up and said, I'll tell you what. Those of you that's without sin, you cast the first stone. Was he compromising? Justice is going to be met. And mercy, where? In the person of the Lord Jesus. Now, they don't tell the woman, I'll tell you what I forgive you. Now, go ahead and do whatever you want to do. Get you, go ahead and get you another man and just live in adultery and do whatever more. But mercy and justice was met together, and the remedy of that was to release a life which had been bound by this and give her the power to never do it again. Glory to God. All the justice done was scare the liver out of you. God come down on the mountain and shook the mountain and God killed people and God done all, oh, oh, and it scares you for a while, but you can only live right out of fear for a while. And then you get to where it don't even bother you more. God didn't want his people to live by fear, but God wanted something to be released to them that they could look right after sin and say, I don't want it. I don't want it. I don't want to do that no more. No. Oh, I'd love to do it. I'd love to do it, but God will get me. God will get me. But they can look right out and say, ha ha, Satan, you used to bind me. You used to have me held to that thing, but no more. Mercy and justice met together and brought peace between God. You see, while we were sinners, we were at this enmity. That's why people get so mad at God and so angry and go, God, I hate you. You've heard them say it. They're just so angry. Why? Their enmity at God is so boiled within them. This guilt of sin and the darkness of conscience perpetrated by the prince of darkness himself to keep the enmity going. He wants to keep sinners mad at God. But if God can ever convince you he loves you. As I heard a preacher say it some time ago, God dealt with his heart. He's lost he was addicted to marijuana years and years ago. And he was, oh, he just had to have it. He got converted. Well, on his way to conversion, he said it that way. <clears throat> and he threw all of his marijuana away. Well, that night at church, Sunday night, he was hollering and carrying on. Monday morning hit him. He got to shaking and trembling. Got to looking for a marijuana cigarette. Couldn't find one nowhere. 
looked through his whole house. But he used to have a place up in the rocks where he'd go up and smoke it. So he took off running, wide open, running wide open up to the rocks and found a little tiny piece. They got up and realized they didn't have no match. So he goes running back down to the house and he had a gas stove so he got a piece of paper and this little old thing was just, you know, really, really short and here he is just shaking and t- tore all the pieces and he said, God, leave me alone. He said, Brother Donnie, the thing that got me was even though I smoked it, God still loved me. He said, I told him, leave me alone. Shook his fist at God. You want to fight? Come on. It must have been the marijuana doing it. (laughs) I can't imagine anybody in their right mind wanting to fight God. God, to be kidding me. But fire and brimstone and hell didn't come down in that room where he was. But he felt so much of the love of God that it just broke him right there and he just collapsed under the love of God. How could that be? In the Old Testament, God would have slain him. How could it be? It was all met in the person of the Lord Jesus. And God couldn't destroy this man because his voice was coming up through the blood. You better be grateful for it today, friends. Oh my, you see, peace is one of the first fruits of justification. The sinner comes to God and they lay down their load and they lay their burden and say, I feel so much better. Praise God, I feel so much better. So it's one of the first fruits of a justified life that they're entering into the spot that they can talk to God. You know, they're not dodging thunderbolts and lightning and and all that sort of thing. Oh God, I I love you, Lord. I I believe he loves me. Wow, I, I, I believe he does. I believe he really, he really cares for me. He loves me. So peace. Oh, but what God desires to give to his bride. I don't think God wants us to stop just at the level of peace we have when we first get saved. I think there's deeper peace than we've ever known. Oh, you say, I'm waiting for the millennium. The whole earth's going to have it then. You better tap into yours right now. Oh, well, what if he runs out? He will never run out of peace, friends. Don't let Satan in the time of COVID, in the time of trouble, in the time of duress rob you of your peace. I believe the Lord Jesus not only wants to manifest himself in healing and miracles and we're seeing it around the world, thank God. I believe he wants to give us a bigger dose of long suffering and a bigger dose of mercy and a bigger dose of forgiveness and a bigger dose of love or long suffering and peace of God that when all the rest of the world is about to lose their mind, we can get up in the morning and say, what a great day to be alive. What a great day to be a Christian. Notice this in Colossians 1.20. Having made peace through the blood of his cross. Now we know Paul is not saying that the cross shed blood. So you have to be careful how you read the Bible now. Let's just take it literally and read it there and it sounds like the cross is bleeding. But the cross was used metaphorically and the cross was used in the natural sense to represent the natural death. So here Paul is using the cross as an instrument, metaphorically an instrument which took the life of the Lord Jesus 
and the instrument was covered in the chemistry of the blood. Having made peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile, reconcile all things unto himself. By him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. Oh, how? Through our husband. So here, Spirit God, through our husband, redeems us, and then Spirit God can give us gifts. Where before in the Old Testament it had been whips and lashes and judgment. But now as long as a reconciliation work is going on and we have the high priest, he cannot delve out eternal separation to the bride. He cannot hurt you without hurting him. Oh, don't get in your mind, oh, I'm so good. You're worthless as you can be. I'm as worthless as I can be as a human being. It ain't because of us in the flesh. It's because of who we are in Christ Jesus. Then what does this bring? Justification that God himself declares us righteous. God himself declares, not us saying, I am justified, but God saying, you are as righteous as I am righteous. I don't know about you, I need a revelation on that. Mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed and become one. Before our salvation in Adam, we stood lost, condemned, unreconciled. But in Christ Jesus, we're forgiven, justified on our way to the hoopah. And every day we're enjoying the gifts of our Father. Where in the Old Testament, being, being a, a Gentile, a dog, God would have given me wrath. God would have given me condemnation. Eternal would have given me all this. Can't you see? Don't just go look into the very heart of God's humanity. You can look beyond the humanity of God, the Lord Jesus. Can't you see why the church, the church out here, it's constantly the Lord Jesus, the Lord Jesus. That's as far as they can see. Christ, 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 Christ. That's all they can see because they're still afraid of God. Inside their conscience tells them they're not right with God. So they're constantly pleading the blood, the blood, the mercy, the blood, the blood, the blood. But the bride can actually stand there with her husband and peer into the realms of the eternal and say, I am accepted. Can you imagine any of us here today being able to walk before a sinless being which never started? Never had a day he began, never have a day when he end. The eternal that spoke all the worlds into existence. And here we are born lost, wretched, blind, miserable, and so redeemed by the blood of the Lord Jesus. We'll be able to walk into that presence of that great light that day as his great all August courts. And we'll be able to stand there in the presence of God, not trembling and shaking, not afraid, not in judgment, but standing there in love and him oh, echo through the voice of his humanity. Welcome home. Welcome home. You imagine, friends, 
the wars that have been down through the ages. And let me close with this. In World War I, when our, not only our nation, but the nations of the earth took sides and started in war, thousands and thousands of men in the military on all sides were killed, people displaced, their homes destroyed, their cities annihilated, their lives wrecked. What a day it must have been that day, Brother Jim. November the 11th at 11 o'clock when they signed the peace treaty and the announcement was made, the war is over. That meant refugees could go back home. That meant displaced people would be able to return back. In World War II, when Hitler and his Nazis took over a big portion of Europe and many of the people of Europe were displaced. Many of the churches and synagogues and holy places were, oh my, just obliterated by bombs. People running here and there and there. What a day it must have been when the announcement come forth in the newspaper and the radios and whatever more. The war is over. Germany has made peace. You see, for us Americans being on this side of it, where we were not bombed, we cannot really relate to how many of those people must have felt when they had to leave their homes, their, everything they knew all of their life. And when they went back home, their homes were bombed, their homes were destroyed. Oh, but for some of them, whenever they were there and the welcome bands were playing and they blowed the horns and they'd done this and that, they'd shouted and danced in the streets and jumped and they said, the war is over. Praise God. May I say to you, that's what happened to one of our brothers two weeks ago tomorrow. The war was declared over in the life of our brother Jay Glenn. Shouting down the streets of gold and worshiping God in the sixth dimension, I should say. Can you imagine when it's all over? The Gentile bride is consummated and finished and the angels of God go to make the declaration the saints rise from the ground and the voice can be heard, the war is over. Praise God and the Lord Jesus will take his bride into her great paradise. You imagine when the Brits return back home Many of their, their churches were destroyed. My, I've seen pictures of it and so have you. Where that their, their homes looked off and their country was off and some of them actually never did totally get over it. I've been to some to Europe and seen some of the, the ruins that are just left remaining there, still bombed out, totally destroyed lives. My friend, when our Lord Jesus, he, didn't, he did not make between peace between him and the devil. That wasn't his concern. His concern was make peace between man and the eternal. It was not to make peace between him and the devil. He's just, you know, just that little something that's serving on the side of negativity. But it was to make peace between God and man. How the angels will welcome us that day and say, welcome home. Come on in, little children. Come and see the place that was prepared for you before the foundation of the world. We won't have to move in heaven and start rebuilding because it was all bombed out. We won't have to move in there and pick up people's limbs and this and that and the other. No, there'll be none of that there. Praise God. 
will move straight in to our new home. Why? Because the Lord Jesus made peace between us and our Father. Let's bow our heads together, would you? Thank you, Lord Jesus. Lord God, as we bow our heads, Lord, we ask you today that you look upon each of us. We're so thankful, Father, that your own blood stands between us and judgment. I cannot imagine how stupid I've been, how ignorant I've been since becoming a Christian. All of us as humans, how many times we've failed you. That you would have got so upset with us, Lord. But as Sarah laughed in your face and called you a liar, but you could not destroy her because her husband had a covenant with you. As long as she was part of Abraham, he protected her. And our husband, your attribute of the son, has a covenant. As long as we are hid in him and identified in his resurrection, you cannot destroy us. You convict us, you show us when we're wrong, and lead us back. I honestly don't mind sitting under a preacher that preaches hard and tells me where I'm wrong. As long as he offers me a way back. Offer me a way back. Tell me what I can do. I have a hard time sitting under a preacher that always wants to point his finger and tell us how wrong we are and never tell us what to do to get back. Oh, but God, help us as your servants that we can tell the people who are the wrong. And then when we see, Lord, that they recognize they're wrong, that we can point them down the path of reconciliation. Because Paul says in the book of Corinthians that we have not only received the word, but we've also received the ministry of reconciliation. So we have a rhema word from God to lead the children of God back. We love you, Lord Jesus, so much. Forgive us, Father. I'm sure during this last year and a half of this hard time that we've all been through, we've probably questioned and wondered Because in reality, some of the things that's happened, we didn't see them in the prophetic scope of God. I've never found no quotes where Brother Brandon mentioned nothing about COVID or where the Bible says anything about it. Oh, sure, there'll be diseases and this and that that'll come. But Lord, the way it's come, we've looked for for the Catholic church to shut down the church, not COVID. So some of it, Lord, we haven't understood. We've tried to look at it and pray over it and ponder about it. But much we still don't understand. But Lord, we're so grateful that you've kept us in the time of trouble. Father, maybe there's some here today, maybe it's their husband or their wife or their children. Maybe it's the economy. Maybe it's their job. And Lord, they can't really say that they have been experiencing your peace. But they've been under depression, sadness, And I know this is true, Lord, because I have prayed for so many personally around the world on the phone, by email, by text that have fought such depression during these months. 
Lord, some of your children have not been able to even go to church for over a year. I pray for them today, Father. Lord Jesus, would you help us? Your peace, Father, is what we ask for today. We believe, Father God, that you have your face, your mercy, your abundant joy that you long for us to experience. Grant it to us today, Father. Would you bring healing? Would you bring light? Would you bring solace to the heart that's burdened, Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus? For those of you that would like to be remembered today, whatever your need is, would you just stand to your feet and signify to the Lord, Lord, I've got needs in my body, in my home, my marriage, my job, whatever it is, the Lord knows. Oh my, looks like all of us. Yeah, all of us. Amen. You believe he's mindful of you today, friends? Your father wants to give you all these gifts. But I'm not worthy. You're going back pre-Calvary. Get that out of your mind. Of course you're not worthy. Let's all admit that, okay? Let's just, let's just admit it today and resolve that where we don't have to talk about it no more. Wow. We're not worthy. Wow. None of us are worthy, beginning with me. None of us are worthy. But he has made us acceptable in the beloved. So if he offers me love and forgiveness and mercy and kindness and joy and peace, I am a fool if I don't take it. I am most ignorant. Why should I try to struggle for peace myself? When he said, Donnie, don't struggle. Just take mine. Take my peace. And when yours runs out, mine never will. Don't you understand? It's like God has a backup. Of everything our portion of the Holy Ghost gives us, God has a backup of his own virtue, which never runs out. Ours will be determined by our prayer life, how much we read the Bible, how much we get to go to church, how much fellowship we have. And whenever those things are hampered, then our supply of those things are limited. But when ours runs out, we have this constant flow of backup, which is not affected by how much you pray, how much you don't pray, how much you read, how much you don't read, but it's affected by your ability to allow him to flow through you. It's like this, Brother Bram read this morning before coming to church. That Brother Bram said, now we're going to pray for these people. And he said, your faith was my faith was his faith. I thought, how powerful. Your faith was my faith with his faith. He said, you see, our faith won't go very far, but we'll use our faith till it runs to its end, and then his faith will come in and finish the work. Some of you are looking for your faith to get a big shot of steroids, and your faith somehow is going to get these gigantic muscles, and that's going to be rapturing faith. Forget it. It's going to be his faith that just anoints the bride and takes her right on out of this world in a body change. Praise God. Can we pray for one another if you don't mind? If you feel uncomfortable doing it, then you just lay the hand on your wife or child or something there standing near you. But let's just pray for one another if you don't mind. Oh, my children, no telling how many needs are out here among us today. If I'd start a prayer line right now, I probably wouldn't make it halfway through. I'd be laying here on the floor. But let's just ask the Lord Jesus in his mercy. Father God, As we stand here today, Lord, 
We're not praying for ourselves, but we're praying for our brothers and sisters. Lord, you see what this church has been through like so many other churches in the last year. Father, we've lost a couple of brothers out of our assembly because of, of this COVID. Unlike many around the world, pastor friends of mine in Africa and different places, Lord, that the numbers have been awful. But Lord, as I said, you don't really look at death and say, well, this is a better choice of death. That's a better choice of death. But Lord God, through this, you chose to take some of your children home, but it's caused fear among some of your children. It's caused anxiety and worry and trouble. But Lord God, we bring our needs before you today in the name of Jesus. We believe you're a mighty God, a mighty conqueror. We are not just approaching our high priest alone for him who was human could certainly relate to our anxieties and our trouble. But we're approaching almighty God, the eternal, the mighty Elohim. Hallelujah, hallelujah. May I say today, we are not afraid to come before your great throne. For we will not be met with thunder and lightning. We will not be met with judgment. Nor will be we do as Moses said he do when the mountain shook that day. And Moses said he was exceeding fearful himself. He shook in the presence of God. But we meet you today. Hallelujah, hallelujah. So the work of kenosis. Glory be to God. We are not afraid to approach the throne of God because it is our mercy seat. Lord Jesus, we ask you for forgiveness for our shortcomings. John told us if any man says that he hasn't sinned, he's a liar. So we want to say today we're sorry for our shortcomings, our failures, our mistakes. We ask you to forgive us. Now that we've got that taken care of, we step on closer to the throne. We lay our petitions before you. We've got loved ones that's lost, loved ones that's backslid. We've got some, Lord, even around the message that COVID has took an effect upon their faith and some of them haven't been back to church and I'm not sure if some plan on coming back. But God, we pray for your mercy to them. We pray for those that are sick. We pray for those, Lord God, that are oppressed of the devil. And I speak to Satan and all of his imps this morning. Satan, you are a defeated foe. In the name of Jesus Christ, take your hands off of God's property. We are redeemed, bought by the blood of the Lamb. Healing is ours. Peace is ours. Joy is ours. Reconciliation is ours. And you are not going to stop us, Satan. The rapture is ours. The body change is ours. Minister to your healing, the the sick, Lord. Minister peace to the oppressed. Minister deliverance to the bound. Grant it, I pray, Father. In the name of Jesus Christ. Oh, praise be to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If you need healing today, Make his word your confession. By his stripes, I am healed. Leah Beth, 
You at home this morning not feeling well, honey? Take his words, place them on your lips, and speak it. By his stripes, I'm healed. In the name of Jesus. Every man, woman, boy, or girl that's visible or those that are streaming, take his word on your lips. And if you have deity inside of you, it is the same as deity speaking. Brother Branham said, speak to that thing in your body and say, leave my body. Go out of my body in the name of Jesus. You prostate condition, you high blood, you low blood, you nervousness, in the name of Jesus, leave the bodies of the saints of God. You oppression, you sadness, in the name of Jesus, we claim our prize today as the people of God. Our Lord Jesus got in the ring and he beat the daylights out of the devil. He wore him out and he ascended up before the throne of God and got the prize money and come back down on the day of Pentecost and said, here, sweetheart, I share with you the prize money. The baptism of the Holy Ghost, healing, deliverance, power, Whatever you ask in my name, I'll do it. Remember, friends, Brother Darrell's preached it before. The Lord Jesus gave you all the checks you'd ever need for life's journey. Whatever you need here today, why don't you pull one of the checks out of your spiritual wallet or your purse, as it were, and sign your name down at the bottom. I need healing, I need deliverance, I need peace, I need reconciliation. In the name of Jesus, he'll cash it and make it good. Praise be to God. We worship you, Lord. Can we just raise our hands? Brother Joel, sing something for us, would you? Let's just raise our hands and worship him a little bit now before we go. We won't hold you long. I know we got a quick turnaround here, but let's just worship him a little. Oh, don't you appreciate his grace and his mercy? Thank God, aren't you glad mercy and justice is met together and you have been set free? Let's worship together. Praise God. Praise God. I put my life in your hands. Yes, Lord Jesus. I put my life in your hands. Thank you, Jesus. Every word I walk down, I know it's in
This morning, I know you enjoyed that this morning. Thank the Lord for just coming and speaking to us. Let's sing that God is good all the time. I think we do that in G. Um, just remember the, the viewing and the funeral here in just a little while. Come back. Let's sing that God is good. Oh, God is good all the time. Put a song of praise in this 